0: ask you to please join me in a word of prayer. Lord, I'm grateful for the gospel, and as we just sang, we need a, a fresh wind of your spirit. We also need a fresh reading of your word. This is very familiar to us, but I pray that you'd give us new eyes as we start into this gospel, and I pray as the preacher that you would help me be clear and true and full of your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I'm taking a class right now through the seminary, just kind of continuing education stuff on church revitalization. That's the title of the class. In the first lecture, the professor shared some recent survey work that's been done on the American church, Uh, not Anglican per se, but just Christianity in America, in the United States of America. And he shared some interesting information. There are about 300,000 churches in, in our country, and the average size is 75 people. He said, before COVID happened, annually, about 5,000 new churches were planted, and 5,000 churches died and officially closed their doors and went out of business. So it was holding water. He said, of the churches that are in existence, only 15% of them could be labeled as growing. Not just number, but spiritual depth. They they had the markers of growth and health. 60% of them were in decline. And the rest were plateaued and heading toward decline. It was actually pretty dismal to hear this. And, and another survey he mentioned, uh, a, a study estimated that COVID is going to cause 18,000 churches to close. So it's, it's an unusual time. But um, I think this is sad for American Christianity, but it's actually good for biblical Christianity. Because it's no longer a cultural thing to be a Christian in this country. Now the question is, do I believe the message of Christianity? It's not about country club membership or something. It's about Jesus. It's about the good news of the gospel. And um, many mainline churches have lost the message. In fact, we're part of the Anglican church in North America because the prior denomination at the national level had lost the core content of our faith. I've told you before that when Heather and I were first married, we moved to Chicago for my first job out of college, and we spent 18 months every Sunday going to a different church in the Chicagoland area. We lived urban, so we, were, we didn't have a car. We were like in the city, but there were so many churches there. Every week to a different one, and could not find one that felt alive like the one we had come from. It was a really sad experience, and some of them had really beautiful buildings, and um, look, they, they, some of them were even full of people but they had lost the center, the core, the very heart of Christianity. They didn't have the gospel. They had religion. And to quote what Paul, the apostle says to Timothy, they had a form of godliness, but denying its power. They didn't have the transformation of heart. They didn't have the spirit in worship. They were going through the motions in some ways, and it felt really dead. One of them had changed the Lord's Prayer to pick up a current political issue. They'd actually changed the words of that prayer And in that one, we stood up and walked right out in the middle of that prayer. It was rough. And I know most of you have had an experience of being in a church that felt dead. And I would encourage you to talk about it. In your life group, at breakfast or lunch today, talk about what the distinctions were. What was the difference? Why was it like that? And thankfully, having the gospel changes everything. But there's a temptation, I think, in the church to want to have a new message, We want to have something maybe considered more interesting, more relevant, more current. And revisionism starts to happen. But we don't need a new message. We need to keep returning to our first love and being renewed in the old message, the good and true timeless word of God. So today we're going to start an 11-week journey in the gospel of Mark. And if you want to look at a pew Bible, it's on page 836. Mark is going to show us a mosaic of events from Jesus' life. He's going to lay out for us what Jesus did and who he is and not much of what he said. There's some of that in there, but it's not nearly as focused on the teachings of Jesus, just simply what he did with no explanation. And Mark will set up groups of people, the crowds, the religious leaders, the disciples, all of whom will be confused. And at the very end, we'll hear a book-ended statement that we're going to hear right in chapter one, A Roman centurion will watch Jesus die on the cross and say, surely this man was the Son of God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the very first word as we start out. What Mark is doing is he is inviting you, the reader, the listener, to ask the question of, what will I do with Jesus, the Son of God? Will I become his student and follow him, or will I ignore him and even reject him? And it's pretty black and white for Mark. So that's the question for us. Jesus here is offering a new and better way to be human. Do you want it or not? That's, that's what's on offer. Now, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Mark starts out by saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, right away, any peop, any, anyone who's been around Christianity or the church for a while will recognize the reference back to Genesis 1, the word beginning. In the beginning, God created. John, in his gospel, starts out, in the beginning was the Word. And here, Mark starts out with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right away, we're recognizing this allusion to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. And he created by speaking his Word, and the Spirit was hovering over the waters. It's actually a picture of the Trinity. We see God the Father, Jesus the Word, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit over the waters of creation. Right here in chapter 1, we see probably the clearest picture of the Trinity down in Jesus' baptism in verse 9. It says that that when he came up out of the waters after John the Baptist had had, uh, baptized him, the, the Lord, God the Father, spoke and said, "'You are my beloved Son, with you I'm pleased.'" And then the Spirit of God descended like a dove upon Jesus. We've got the Father speaking from heaven. We have the Son coming up out of the water. And we have the Spirit descending upon him and remaining with him. The Trinity right there. And so whereas the Trinity created everything in Genesis 1, here in the gospel we're seeing a renewed creation in Jesus' coming. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. This is good news for us. But what is the gospel? right? I mean, that's a word that is thrown around quite a bit in the church, and it's a genre of music. Um, There are gospel radio stations, but what is the gospel? And this is the gospel according to Mark, so it's Mark's telling of it. And if I take just the verses we read from the gospel reading this morning, I picked up four things that, that I thought tell us what the gospel is. It's that Jesus, God's son, came to identify with humanity to forgive our sin, to empower us with his spirit, and to live in a new way. Just from that introduction, this is, this is technically called the prologue to, to Mark's gospel. And, and, it, and then the first part starts when Jesus goes out and begins his ministry in verse 14. We didn't read that far. That'll be next week. And he starts to declare and show and demonstrate the kingdom of God. The prologue part here is saying this is the gospel. And just looking at the prologue, We've got Jesus coming and identifying with humanity. We've got a mention of the forgiveness of our sins. We've got a mention of being empowered with the Holy Spirit. John says, I baptize with water. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then an invitation to live in this new way. So I'd like to look at those things. But I want to point out right away that the first thing that Mark does is he ties the new covenant to the old covenant. And he quotes both Malachi, that verse uh, 2, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. That's actually from Malachi, even though he says, according to Isaiah. The second part of that is from Isaiah, a voice of one in the wilderness uh, crying, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So Mark is, is tying the old covenant To this gospel. Jesus is fulfilling something. He's renewing something. He's completing it. He's not not disregarding it. The law and the prophets will continue, and he is fulfilling, and he's helping us understand what this means, and he is um, the Savior who's come to do what the old covenant talked about. Now, ironically, the word here, um, prepare the way of the Lord, the irony is that he's saying prepare the way of the Lord, and the Lord is going to come and give a new way to be human, He's going to show us a new way to live. So prepare the way of the Lord who's coming to prepare a way for you. That's what we're going to learn as we go through Mark's gospel. Now, six times in the, in the writings of Acts, the Apostle Paul refers to Christianity as the way. In your Bible, it's got a capital W. In Acts chapter 9, it says this, that Paul asked the religious leaders, the Jews, for letters to all the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, capital W, the way, he might arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem. And then Paul becomes a Christian not long after that. And then in Acts 19, it says that when some Jews became stubborn and continued in their unbelief, speaking evil of the way, Paul left the synagogue and went out and started to teach the Greeks. And in Acts 19, it says, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. And um, I, uh, Paul says, describing his own wicked ministry before he became a Christian, he says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. And there are other references. Acts 24 has two of them the way interesting that Christianity was called the way. Some were saying it's a, the sect of the Nazarenes. That's what it says in Acts 24. People refer to it as a little re- religious sect, the sect of the Nazarenes, but Paul and others called it the way. It was a new way to live. It was a completely new thing, but it was being birthed out of the old covenant, out of what had been taught for so many centuries. Jesus came to fulfill that, and he's offering us better way to be human and do you want it is the question now taking those four marks from the gospel i'd like to talk about each one and this is what is involved in this new way the first thing is that god's son came to identify with sinful humanity so in the other gospels when he comes to be baptized john the baptist is like whoa wait a minute i need to be baptized by you and yet you come and expect me to baptize you and Jesus says, let let it be so for now because we're fulfilling all righteousness. It's not that Jesus was sinful. In fact, he was not. He was without sin, but he came to identify with sinners, to bear our iniquities, our sorrows, to to be the perfect human to do what we couldn't do. And so he identifies with us in the baptism. And then immediately after his baptism, he's driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Keep in mind, the first man, Adam, was in a perfect garden being tempted by Satan and fell. As our Eucharistic liturgy says every week, that that God created us for himself, but we fell. And sin entered in, and death entered in, and Satan reigned where we were supposed to be, and all all the horrible things of life entered in from that moment. Adam failed in a garden, and now out in a wilderness, Jesus, the new Adam, has come, and the Spirit sends him out identifying with humanity, and for 40 days, he's being tempted, and he is victorious. He defeats every temptation. He remains true to his identity, and he does what you and I could not do. He lived the life that we couldn't, and then we'll learn soon that he goes and leads and goes to the death that we deserve. He lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death we deserved. So right away, he's identified um, with sinful humanity, but the difference is he's always been focused on the Father. I mean, we heard the summary of the law, right? Here's the whole law. Love God with your whole heart, and then love your neighbor as yourself. We struggle to do that because we curve in on ourselves. We're, we're self-focused, and Jesus was God the Father-focused. He identifies with us, and he does it perfectly. Now, in here, in this passage, um, the, the ministry of John, in chapter, in chapter 1, verse 4, it says, "...he appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins." The problem with that is his baptism didn't forgive sins. It more uh, exposed our sin. It brought people to a place of recognizing their need and acknowledging it and confessing their sins and asking God for forgiveness. But it was Jesus who was the one who won forgiveness for us. Um, In in Mark's gospel, Jesus' cross is the answer to the problem. And literally half of it beginning in chapter 8, is focused on the suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's 16 chapters long, and in chapter 8, Peter will proclaim that he's the Christ, the Son of God, the Christ. And from then on, he starts talking about his suffering, his death, and he sets his face for Jerusalem. People have rightly called the gospel a passion narrative with a lengthy introduction. That's accurate, because half of it is about the last week of Jesus's life. It's about the cross. That is how he wins forgiveness for us. And it's so interesting how in Jesus's ministry, he ties two Old Testament figures together. He calls himself the son of man. That's his favorite reference for himself. It's in there a number of times. Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. And that's a reference to Daniel chapter 7 a prophetic vision that Daniel gets of one like a son of man who goes before the ancient of days, a reference to God, and is given dominion and authority and power to rule over a kingdom that will never end, and he comes upon the clouds. Now, we've seen this in part, and we're waiting for him to return in the same way he ascended to come on the clouds and make everything right. The kingdom has already come, but it is not yet fully consummated. And that vision from Daniel chapter 7 is confusing as Jesus refers to it because he pulls another figure from the Old Testament right alongside, and that's the suffering servant of Isaiah. In Isaiah 53, we hear that this suffering servant of God would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. He would, he would carry our brokenness, our burdens. He was this suffering servant who would go and be sacrificed. And in Jesus, we see both this glorious reigning son of man and the suffering servant of Isaiah. Right there, they're put together. And what we learn is the forgiveness of our sins comes by the perfect offering, the one identified with humanity who dies in our place. The cross is central. He paid our debt and cleared our guilt before God and gave us his righteousness and took our sin upon himself. That's the burning heart of scripture, Isaiah 53. And in Jesus, we see both that son of man and that suffering servant. So he identifies with sinful humanity and then on the cross he forgives our sins. Now the third thing is that he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, John is saying, I baptize you with water but the one coming after me, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, he's going to baptize you with fire, with the Holy Spirit it says. Uh, fire from the other gospel. But here it says, I, he, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now one of the Most impressive and one of my favorite parts of the Old Testament comes from Ezekiel chapter 36, that first reading we heard today. Let me just read part of it for you again. Through the prophet Ezekiel, God says, I will take you from the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. This is the new way to be human, to live according to God's ways, according to his law and rules. But we can't do it in our own strength. We are dead until we're made alive by the spirit. John's baptizing with water And now Ezekiel's talking about being sprinkled clean, but then also on the inside being made alive. What the gospel does is it transforms your inside, and then it works its way out in your life. So prepare the way for the Lord by acknowledging your need for him, and then he comes and empowers you to live the way of the Lord, the new way that Jesus has brought. He makes you alive on the inside. We are spiritually dead until we come to Christ, and then he makes us alive. So he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. And then the fourth thing is that his spirit empowers us to live this new way. So he is with us to teach us and to lead us into all his commandments and to help us. At times, the Holy Spirit will convict you and say, nope, that's wrong. Don't go down that path. You've got to stop that. Put it to death. And then at other times, he will fill you with overflowing worship. He will empower you to do things that you couldn't do before you were a Christian. So Jesus does these things in the gospel and it, it holds all four of these things. He identifies with sinful humanity. He, he forgives our sins by dying on the cross. He makes us alive by sending his spirit into our hearts, and he remains with us, empowering us to live the new life. And they call it good news. This is the beginning of the gospel. The word gospel means good news. This is really good news. And you've heard this so much that there's a danger in that. There's a danger in wanting something new or novel and forgetting how amazing it is. In Revelation, there's a word to the churches from the Spirit that one of the, one of the churches has lost its first love. It's grown lukewarm. And even as we were worshiping and praying and singing that song about a fresh wind, I was just saying, God, I remember how excited I was when I first heard the gospel and it, and it hit my heart. As a 17-year-old kid, I remember how passionate I was, how quickly I shed a tear when I would hear good news. Like I would well up with a sense of God's presence. And you know, it's so easy to let that dwindle. It's so easy to let other things get in the way. It's so easy to go, yeah, we've heard this. It's Mark's gospel. It's the short one. It's not really, eh, I need something to, and dismiss it completely and start to grow cold. And that's what's happening in so many of the churches is they've lost the very core of their message. Oh, if we could just hear this with fresh ears for the first time, every time we hear it. This is what we need. And as we consider what Jesus has done for us, it will naturally move us to worship. As we walk in the spirit, he will help us not walk according to the flesh and put to death the earthly things that are in us, the old ways, the old Adam, so to speak, and take on the new humanity that Jesus has won for us. So to the Christian here, renew the love that you first felt. Go back to that moment. Remember what was happening there. Why did it feel so powerful to you? Remind yourself of the truth of what Jesus has done. And ask the Spirit to come alive afresh, to be bigger in your life. Ask for more. And to anyone in here who would label themselves as the typical thing, spiritual but not religious, get this religion. Ask him for it. This is the, this is the one you want. This is the way to live. This new way is yours for the asking. If you'll repent and come to Jesus, ask him to give you what he's offering. It will change everything. I want to bow my head in prayer, and I invite you to join me. Lord, this is great news. It's better than good news. This is what we've all been needing, what we've wanted all of our lives. And Lord, for those in here who've been Christians a long time, would you restore our our first love? Give us a passion to worship you and be thankful. And for anyone in here who doesn't know this, who's never experienced it, I pray today, Lord, that you would come and make their heart alive. Give them a desire to have what you want. Bring them into your kingdom. Transform them. Fill them with your presence. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.